0: Welcome to The Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Welcome back to The Soft Life podcast. Today we have Dr. Alicia Hodge, who is joining us, and I am so excited to speak with her. I am so happy to have you here, Dr. Alicia. Welcome to the Soft Life Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here as well.
0: Thank you for joining us today. So we always start off by asking each guest how they're feeling in this exact moment. Just describe your how you're feeling, your surroundings, your environment, so we can kind of get grounded into the space together.
1: Yeah. So I would say right now I'm actually feeling pretty calm which isn't always the case <laughs> um yeah. i'm like home settled friday like kind of the ease into some nice things this weekend so i'm in my office which is obviously intentionally very calming nice colors um pretty serene so i'm actually feeling pretty positive and calm
0: i love that i'm so happy to hear that yes your office looks beautiful from what i can see Thank and yeah um Really happy to hear that you're easing into the weekend. so would love to know your origin story in your own words, and that can mean anything to you. That can be you know where you grew up, the city you're from, um you know, your siblings, your upbringing. But what is your origin story in your own words? Who is Dr. Alicia Hodge in a short and
1: Sweet? Yeah, you know that's a really interesting question. Um I would say. When I think of the origin story, um, it's a pretty direct path, meaning some people sort of like stumble into what they're doing. But I've always, um, I would say I've described myself as curious. Um, So I've always just been curious about why things happen and who people are. And I think that led me on a pretty straight path to psychology. I've always been You know the person that people talk to. I've always wanted to know more and why, Um, and I've always enjoyed um, just people, if that makes sense. And so, for myself, I also like to solve puzzles, and I think the biggest puzzles are people. (laughs) Um, And so, I think um, that led me down a path of just self exploration, but also understanding um, how we can all experience one thing and see it differently. Um, And going through that experience, especially in college, I think let me. Um, to cement psychology, to say, like, how is it that we're all in the same room, but we're seeing and feeling different things? Um, And I sort of looked at it in a sense of how can I use that information to help people make the most of their situations? Um, Because, you know, in reality, we have life going on every day, but it's really a matter of your perspective um, that determines your experience.
0: I love that. And so growing up, um, you know, depending on... Where your surroundings were like, you know, living in a city versus living in the suburbs. How do you think that shaped your interest in wanting to become a psychologist?
1: And that's a, that's a, you know, when you said, where are you from? I was going to make sure that I did say I'm from New England. I'm very okay. proud of that. Um I think now living in D.C., there's probably like a perpetual argument of is D.C. the South? But my answer is yes.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) It depends on who you ask, because I ask some people, they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, "Uh, kind of. but Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. D.C. is masquerading as a northern city in the South. But Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I think that. Yeah, I think that. Even that, right, is about like values and perspectives and the way people act and the way people show up. I remember when I first moved here, like strangers were speaking to me and I was like, what's going on? Like, why are y'all doing this? Yeah. (laughs) And I perceived it at first as actually an unpleasant experience. And now it is pleasant to me. Um, But I say that to say, you know, um, I think if you think about traditional um, ways of being like up North is more kind of like straight to the point direct and maybe even less interactive and less talkative. And I think um, in a way that might've shaped my desire to be more open and talk more <laughs> in some mm-hmm. ways.
0: No, I definitely understand. I feel like, um, you know, your, your surroundings and your environment shape so much of who you become, especially as an adult, you know, cause especially if you start off in your formative years or your early teens, in a certain area or an environment, it really plays a big role into how we develop as adults. So, I always like to ask and get a, a fi- get a feel of where your your roots are, essentially. And mm-hmm. um, can you share more about your jo- your journey specifically into psychology? Like, what was your educational background, and how was uh, how did your experience pursuing your psychology career? what was that like and yeah. you know right now we're in a an era right now where there are more black mental health professionals but this is still very new this you mm-hmm. know this industry and this field is is still pretty new so we'd love kind of more of your insight on your personal career journey into being a mm-hmm. psychologist
1: yeah well definitely i love to share about the journey um because like you said there are very few um black mental health professionals um, and even though there are more, the number is so small. So specifically for myself, being a Black uh, woman, that's a psychologist, Black psychologist, about 6% of us. And that's on, um, I mean, essentially on record of all the American Psychological Association members, but it's a very, very, very small number.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so, you know, people may not have someone in their family or that they know that can tell them about that journey, about what it's like to pursue that career. So I will emphasize it's a lot of education. Um, And as it should be, right, if you want a medical professional. But essentially, um, I went through high school with an idea that I was interested in psychology. And then when I got to college, that was the standard four-year degrees. I did major in psychology. I also minored in um, criminology because I had a thought that maybe I wanted to be, um, this is before it was popular at the time, but I thought I might want to be an FBI profiler. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> didn't we all but, at some point, literally, right? I think we all had that dream, at right some point. yep,
1: right. And so, um, I pursued a little bit of that in criminal justice, and then um I went on to get my master's because that's required to be doing um right. at least clinical therapy. Um after that, um, that was a two year degree. And then I started working doing therapy and community mental health. Um, and that was a typical nine to five I was seeing. A good number of clients a week. It was a little bit um, stressful, um, and then I kind of had the sentiment. I always wanted the highest degree, which is a PhD or a PsyD, which is a Doctor of Psychology. Mm-hmm. That's um, and so I went back to school again after the six for another five. So a wow. doctoral degree is about is a minimum, typically of five years. Longest is yeah. seven that it wow. can take um, to do your research. So it took me five years. Um, so all in all, you know, the math, I don't have it all there, but that's almost 10 years of education essentially.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I then after that, that. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, during that time I had to do a year long internship, which is sort of like an equivalent of a residency for medical doctors. And then I did a postdoctorate training, which was like to specialize me. So mm-hmm. a lot of education, the journey was long. It was a little bit difficult, but I think the biggest part of it is there was a lot of self-exploration. So even that in and of itself was really valuable.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you went through obviously, you know, your standard schooling, but there was also a lot of introspection and self-discovery throughout that process. And I would love to know how your business Slay Your Anxiety came about. And I, first of all, love the name Slay Your Anxiety because (laughs) it's just, it's so spot on. I would love to know more about Slay Your Anxiety, its background and your intention with creating this safe space for um, clients, community, and just overall anyone looking to improve their mental health.
1: Yeah. So Slay Your Anxiety is... Definitely one of my phrases, I do like to um share the credit with my friend and fellow mm-hmm. psychologist Dr. Joy Bradford, who
0: yes, is we the love
1: creator. her, yes, <laughs> yes for black girls she is a uh, she is just a wonderful woman, and yeah. um we had been getting to know each other, and I was invited onto her podcast
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um that was the title of the episode. I love it, and so I think it kind of is like a play on words in the sense of slay, like black girl girl slay, right?
0: Um, But also literally
1: slay your anxiety. And so um, that just kind of built traction on its own. Um, And I think it just embodies so well what I am helping people to do and what I'm encouraging people to do. So I think the inspiration is also in the sense of like, anxiety is like a dragon. And it can feel overwhelming and consuming and powerful and scary. And the idea of like, you can equip yourself with certain skills, you can definitely slay your anxiety and like be cute doing it too.
0: I love it, that, I love it so much. I mean, I feel like saddy baddies and slay your anxiety are in the, they're friends. They're definitely, yes. <laughs> they're, they're sisters. Cause you know, it's like the duality of embracing your, what some people might consider a weakness, but really in reality, it's it's human, it's being mm-hmm. human, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but embracing the duality of, you know, you can be someone that is dealing with this or going through this, but you still are you at the end of the day, you know, and you can still slay, you can still be a baddie. I love that so much. Um, so can you tell us more about kind of like the beginning stages of, uh, creating this, uh, online space and, you know, in-person space as well for, um, folks to learn more about their mental health? Like what, what would be kind of the ideal uh, the ideal person who is looking for those resources with slayer anxiety how does slayer anxiety provide that um, those answers
1: yeah so um when i first started i guess what you would call an online presence mm-hmm. it was very new like in um you know in this day and age i think we see a lot of tiktok Yes. Therapists, and we see yes. things like that. But this was like pre TikTok, which is hilarious to make it sound like an era but it
0: really isn't it <laughs> but
1: essentially you know going through grad school it was strongly discouraged of you to have any part of your persona reveals it was yeah. strongly you strongly encouraged not to be on social media to keep all your pages locked down and private and things like that but as I learned more Um, You know, And I'm doing therapy one-to-one in the therapy room, but I had a strong desire to impact more than one person. And the reality is, is every person is not going to come across me in the therapy room. It's just, A, it's impossible. And B, we know even within our community that access to mental health is not there. Um, The resources at times are not there. And so I thought to myself, how do I make a greater impact and give people some basic skills? And also not everyone maybe needs therapy itself Mm -hmm. or has a diagnosis, but there are tips that we can all use. To help manage our anxiety. So I think for myself, when I first started my um, Instagram page, it was actually called stressed, but well-dressed. I love it (laughs) because I used to really be into fashion. So it was like combining fashion and aesthetics with um, mental health tips. And then I kind of moved specifically into the anxiety space, but I was like, you know, therapist and things like that. We can still have aesthetics. We can still be funny. Like I was sharing memes yeah. and, um, and I think it just made it more relatable. And it also really allowed me to express who I was as a person. Because like you said, even though I'm a psychologist, I have that mm-hmm. hat on. I'm still me. I'm still very humorous and sarcastic yeah. and quote unquote down to earth. So yeah. I think that was sort of like my mission behind sharing resources with people, helping engage do basic Q&A and even joke about like, you know, my anxiety told me today that the world's going to blow up, but that's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just making it a little bit more approachable because I, one thing that I've realized too is when creating discourse and dialogue about mental health, sometimes when we create this fear around it or we make it so Mm -hmm. serious people don't want to talk about it they're like i'm not trying to talk about that i'm trying to have a good time but if you can incorporate some personality some humor some lightheartedness, it makes it a lot easier to approach it and to unpack some of those those topics that are harder right and that's what you know i think about some of the the tv shows and media how they're doing this now in a very you know kind of Formulaic it's like a way. way, right? Yeah, it's palatable. Not yes,
1: palatable, yes, dating, but it allows yeah. people to really get the concept, um, and push past stigma, really, because the more you yes. talk about it, the less stigmatized it becomes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, let's dive in to learning more about anxiety. I mean, you are the expert when it comes to understanding and unpacking anxiety, especially in black folks and people of color. And so, I really want to kind of unpack what anxiety is. We have done a couple episodes about anxiety, but first of all, you being the expert is going to help a lot of us really understand and maybe ask some questions that we're like, okay, Google's not doing it for me. I need Mm -hmm. (laughs) a licensed professional to, to really help unpack. And what I would love to know is what is the difference between anxiety and stress? Because that's something that we hear interchangeably interchanged a lot mm-hmm. but there are differences so i would love to know what is the actual definition of anxiety versus just dealing with the regular stress of being a human and being alive here day to day
1: yeah you know that's a good question and um i get asked it a lot and i real, i will be honest i give a slightly different answer every time mm. which sort of speaks to the fact that they are so close to one another and they are used interchangeably um, and there are several ways you can distinguish. Okay. And so handling, i um, sorry, stress itself, I would say, is typically like an ongoing experience, whereas anxiety is more like a state. So anxiety is a biological, physiological response that happens to us um, typically when danger presents itself. Mm-hmm. Now, danger can be a big umbrella, depending on who you are. Danger, of course, is something like falling down the stairs, but it also might feel like a phone call, depending mm-hmm. on what's going on in your life, right? And stress is sort of much more of a prolonged experience, meaning like a tra- some sort of transition, a loss, an event. And so anxiety um, can persist, like that state can persist, but stress is more about... Um, what's going on. It can present with physical issues. We know that chronic stress is really right. Not good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the same thing as anxiety, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like stress is the, it's, it's something that's constant and anxiety is kind of our response to it is what it sounds like in a way and yeah, how we interact with the stress.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a good way to put it, like there are stressors, mm-hmm. things, you know. So for example, if I move into a new city, um, I will have a reaction to that, an ongoing yes. experience of stress. At but typically stress ends whenever the event ends. Mm-hmm. Anxiety may not end, for example, after the meeting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. That really helps to mm-hmm. explain the difference in how we can tell if we're just being, you know, responding to things that are normal and things that make us nervous or even excited sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of making that distinction between just responding normally versus, okay, maybe we actually are feeling really anxious and identifying that those anxious responses. Yeah. Another area I would love for you to explore with us is, the term cognitive distortions. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that this has been floating around. I've seen this floating around, mm-hmm. not only on TikTok, but just through reading you know, some uh, materials about wellness and mental health, of course. Yeah. Um, and cognitive distortions is something that I think a lot of folks might may not know that there's actually a term for it. But yeah. when you actually break it down, a lot of us tend to do this, or people who may struggle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. may fall into this type, these ways of thinking, these mm-hmm. these mindsets. Can you break down what cognitive distortions are and yes. how they impact us in our mental health, especially us anxious folks? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's actually a very good question um, that I'm glad that you asked. So cognitive distortions is a fancy way of saying unhelpful thinking.
0: Mm.
1: And so all of us, like you said, in our lives have engaged in unhelpful thinking styles. Yeah. Now, right. specifically cognitive distortions, if you Google it, you know, I'm not a fan of Google and everything, but if you Google yeah. like, cognitive distortions PDF, you actually will come more than likely to a graphic that has about 10 different unhelpful yeah. thinking styles
0: Yeah,
1: and they yeah. are, I often call them styles or like we all have a top three. So yeah. when I'm first working with someone, I will go over this sheet and for I'll give you an example of some of the things that they are. Yeah. One may say black and white thinking, which essentially is like all or nothing, which means you tell yourself either i won or i lost when there may be so much more in between. Mm-hmm. But i get someone to look at these 10 different styles and i say, "Tell me your top 3 because you've more than likely done all of them at least mm-hmm. once." But if you can know and be aware of this is the way that i tend to think, then when you get in circumstances that are for example anxiety provoking, you can ask yourself like, "Wait, wait, wait, is there a distortion at play here? Am yeah. i doing that all or nothing thing? Am i catastrophizing, which is another one, meaning you are thinking worst case scenario?" Um, mm-hmm. oftentimes people call it mountain out of like a molehill mm-hmm. or, um, there's also personalizing, which means am I making this about me or believing that this person is you know, yes. specifically mad at me versus mad that they were late to work, yeah. mad that they have, you know, they have other things going on that I don't even know about. But if you know, like, these are my top three styles, you can slow down and say, hold on before I continue with this thought process, or before I continue to react, is this a cognitive distortion?
0: hmm yeah. And I mean, as it relates to, you know, folks who are, for example, neurodivergent, um, I actually learned about cognitive distortions through this um, page, this mutual page that we fall on Sadie Baddies. And it's um, actually led by two women and they're Both autistic and um, have ADHD, and they share these cognitive distortions and how, you know, with being neurodivergent, it creates kind of like a filter with their, you know, that type of thinking. So, can you talk a little bit more about how these cognitive distortions, as it relates to folks who are neurodivergent um, or identified being neurodivergent, how that can also affect, you know, the way that we? view and perceive things as a certain way. Yes.
1: I think it's important to know that even amongst um, individuals who may be in a category of neurodivergent, there's still individuals, right? Right. And this is why I think therapy, specifically therapy, can be really useful because you can sort of do this exploration of yourself. I think I'm all about self-help books. Um, and those things, but mm-hmm. it's hard to curate information just for you. It would, yeah. be, it would be very difficult to sell, right? So there's a lot of generalizations that go on, but I think the key there, what you mentioned is knowing that you have a filter and how that filter operates is going to benefit you as you try to process like situations or your thoughts. So if you know, um, you know, I'm hypervigilant to when people speak or I'm hypervigilant to sounds, If you're in a scenario where there's a lot of sounds going on, even that can help you to say, anything that happens from this point on will more than likely be impacted by my overstimulation.
0: Mm -hmm. And so
1: that's a chance for you to either reduce the simulation, like, hey, can y'all turn off that whatever? Or if that's outside of your control, then you try to move forward and um, do something that we call like compensation. Like, how can I compensate for Mm -hmm. the fact that maybe I am at a lower bandwidth or distracted or triggered, you know, whatever that might be
0: yeah thank you so much that really that's such a insightful perspective to have mm-hmm. and you know really appreciate you touching on how this specifically impacts folks who are you know dealing with this on a regular basis and it could actually be more severe because of that mm-hmm. you know additional layer so i also would love to explore what are some of those misconceptions about anxiety, especially anxiety in black women, because Mm -hmm. we know that, uh, sometimes with diagnosis or even treating those suffering with mental health issues, specifically with black women and because of racial trauma and Mm -hmm. microaggressions, right. We have this additional barrier to care. And sometimes with anxiety for me, you know, for example, when I'm anxious, one of my first signs that I'm anxious is I'm irritable. I start nitpicking. I start like, just everything irritates me. I'm not calm. I'm just, I'm not settled. I feel overwhelmed. I'm like, turn off the lights, open the (laughs) windows, close the door. Everybody (laughs) leave, get out of here. Like, that's my like when I'm anxious, that that's how I present. And, you know, versus somebody else who may not have that same like ident- identity as as me they might just isolate or withdraw you know mm-hmm. so what are what are some of the misconceptions or what have you noticed when dealing with uh, or treating uh, I should say anxiety especially in black
1: women yeah um i was so you sort of hit the nail on the head that was probably one of the first ones i was going to go to yeah um because i, I often ask that question to people, like, are you irritable or are you anxious? Mm. Um, because anxiety presents very often as irritability yeah. um, and also can manifest in a lot of controlling behaviors. Mm. And so oftentimes, you know, I'm working with someone and they're like, well, you know me, I'm type A, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And I'm like, yeah, you you are. And I'm I'm more interested in where is that coming from? What is driving the car? There's nothing wrong with being type A. But also here's the thing, if your type A behaviors are driven by anxiety, it has now been accidentally reinforced for all these years. Mm. And more than likely you're operating in perfectionism, which is still anxiety provoking. Like I I always show up, I always get it done. I have to, no one else is going to save the day, but me. Um, And those types of messages, while there may be some truth to them, that's another example of a distortion, right? It may be overinflated in a way that you now feel like everything's on the line all the time and you're living perpetually anxious.
0: Yeah. I mean, just what you shared sounds so much of the reason why these labels and these stereotypes and these tropes, for example, the strong Black woman is like, Mm -hmm. is she really that strong or is she being forced to be- Correct. Have this title and have this this responsibility and this role that she may not even want, you know, she- for so many of us, we, even from a very young age, were given adult responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. So we yeah. are being conditioned to have to be strong even when we don't want to be. So, yeah. you know, I think tying into the some of those misconceptions that you just shared, are there also other factors or other patterns that you've noticed that contribute to some of those stereotypes that you find to be um untrue, you know, when actually mm-hmm. sitting down with with
1: and and treating yeah. through, you know I anxiety. think I think it's tied to like you said the strong black woman the angry black woman
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but especially superwoman yeah and you know in and of itself and so those three things again it's a paradox because who doesn't want to look competent yeah and strong and capable But at some point, everyone is human and they're allowed, like they need rest. They need help. And so if you're trying to live up to a standard that you've been praised for, you really end up sacrificing yourself in the long run, Um, even to uphold something that you can probably say out loud intellectually, you don't agree with, or you don't want it to be true, but there's kind of this internal process that's chasing it Um, or running from this idea of, I don't want to be a failure. And that's where I think it compounds the intersectionalities of like race and gender. So Mm -hmm. there's so much going on outside of us um, that we are responding to. But equally, I could just think of more than 10 clients I've had who all share the same sort of origin story, if you will, of like, Mm -hmm. I was taught that I got to be the first in the class. And like, when I came home with a 95, they were like, where's the other five? And so all of these things are done with good intention, because we are um, typically hoping to shape our kids into successful individuals. Um, the backfire is that when you're cementing that idea and as mm-hmm. a child, you are very black and white as a child. That's actually yeah. developmentally a thing. So if I come home in the first grade and someone says, Where's the other five? I am now mourning and fixated on the a gap of five points. And I make that my mission as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. If I don't get those other five points, I'm a failure.
0: Mm. And it
1: seems true, but when you're 35 and it's everyone's hitting milestones and I'm yeah. checking off boxes and how come I have everything around me but not one thing and I'm miserable? Yeah. You know, that's the same person.
0: Yes. Ooh, that that really hits home. That hits home because I think we're also speaking to a very, you know, broad but also very specific person who might be an overachiever i think a lot of times people who tend to you know listen to the podcast go to therapy they got the pilates they are like juicing in the morning like everything's perfect and we see a lot of this examples in shows like uh harlem for example Mm -hmm. um or insecure or other shows like even living single like back in the day it's like we see there is an archetype of a black woman who's got everything together, but she's got one fixation. I think way too often that fixation is her love life, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Cause I'm like, girl, you got other fish to fry, but
1: yeah. you yes. know, that's. Yes, I have a feeling that also too, like part of the reason that is, in my um, impression of life itself is that mm-hmm. it's the least controllable element, right? Like we yeah. can control. Ourselves. If I want the career, I could try to grind and go get it. If I need yeah. money, houses, I can probably like alter myself. You cannot alter another person. (laughs) And so if you have a perception of who another person also is to be, um, you're kind of tying your hands because now they either they are or they aren't.
0: Yeah. Yes. And that also, again, kind of goes back into that black and white Mm -hmm. thinking that you just shared. um, Yes. Everything is connected. Everything's connected. Um, Speaking of, you know, being in a, a space of specifically, you know, with anxiety and dealing with perfectionism over being overachiever and that, you know, type of, um, that environment, which kind of sometimes can keep us stuck. Mm -hmm. What, what do you say about black women specifically in corporate spaces or work workspaces in general, how we Mm -hmm. deal with anxiety and how we deal with, um, you know, how does, how does our, I would say our experiences with anxiety show up specifically in the workplace. Um, yes. And how would you say that's different than, you know, other environments or different settings?
1: That's a good question. I, I would say um, I do, right, sort of position myself as working with women who are high performing, mm-hmm. uh, professional women who typically do exist in the corporate space. Um, and the that is a difficult space to navigate um, mm-hmm. as a human being, but particularly as a Black woman, meaning um, I want to give this person credit and I can't remember who said it exactly, but I agree with them that this idea of imposter syndrome as a Black woman in corporate America um, is actually true in the sense of like, it is not meant for you. You were not meant to fit yes. in that space. And so to yeah. feel as though you don't fit is not yeah. your imagination, actually.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And so there's a lot of compartmentalizing. I think that happens, but I think the way anxiety meaning of your experiences and sort of, um, that dissimilar fit at times, but I think the way it does show up is in a lot of performance, a lot of performing, whether that's socially, um, whether that's, um, doing extra work, not speaking up and feeling able to have boundaries at work because you feel maybe that you're, you're already viewed negatively. And so you're trying to compensate for that. Um, Sometimes it might look like days off work, right? When Mm -hmm. the stress is too much and you're overwhelmed. I think it also can show up as hypervigilance about yourself. A lot of rumination and reviewing of like, was that right? Should I have said that? Should I have done that? Um, And I think when I approach that in therapy, it's not about swinging the pendulum to saying like, oh, just do anything. Don't worry about that. It doesn't matter. But it's more about teasing through how much of this is related to my own experiences? How much of this is related to my work culture? How much of this is related to distortions? Yeah. And how do I manage that? And so um, let's practice boundaries at work, but let's do it on a low risk thing mm-hmm. just to see what that feels like. Because it, I know a lot of times the, the internet talks about unlearning as though it's this easy process of like, I'm just going to forget it. Unlearning means you're learning something else. Right. Right. And so that still is difficult and it's challenging and it takes practice. And that's the thing I encourage people to realize that change involves practicing. Mm -hmm. If I want to say no more, I actually have to say no more. Mm -hmm. I don't say no one time. And then I'm like, Oh, saying no is easy. This This is great.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really, it's, it's really good to understand like the, the environment that we're in, you know, obviously you just mentioned you're work closely with high performing uh, corporate professionals, etc. But one thing that stuck out was you mentioned trying things with low risk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) low risk um, opportunities to practice that boundary setting and to practice self-care. And um, I think for any of us who are maybe even early in our careers or later on in our careers or wherever we are, we can really apply that knowledge and, you know, check in with ourselves. Are you taking off more time off from work because you're overwhelmed are you pushing things off to the last minute because you are just bombarded and you're not speaking up right. about your workload, right? Um, right? Are you being mistreated, but you're afraid? Okay, there's not a lot of us in the room that look like me, so I'm gonna just put up with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So these are all things that I think we can keep in mind as we, especially going into this new season, and hopefully we can show up better for ourselves and each other by being aware of this. So, you know, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, talking more about financial anxiety. So this is something that I think a lot of people just glaze over. It's, it's sometimes, <laughs> you know, like a lot, I, I think about the times in my life where I was most stressed out. And a, a lot of times it could be rooted back into like financial anxiety, specifically yeah. when I was, you know, in graduate school and not working full time just yet, or even a college student, just in my, mm-hmm. in my twenties, there was such a, it's such a tumultuous era. And um, I think talking about financial anxiety can also help reduce stigma. I st- I still think that's an area where there's a lot of stigma when it comes to talking about our mental health. So can you talk more about financial anxiety and maybe what are some of the signs that someone is going through uh, financial anxiety and with this economy in general, it's, it's, mm-hmm happening more and more often that people are feeling, um, overwhelmed or very, very stressed, but would love to hear more about how to approach financial anxiety and when to maybe realize that we need more support.
1: Yeah. Um, I often find that when people are dealing with financial anxieties, they tend to present on either end of the spectrum, meaning they're avoiding and like apathetic, like, oh yeah, girl, I don't know how much money I have. I don't check. I don't look, I get emails, (laughs) I don't open them, you know, (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, I'm always pressing ignore on my phone or, or there's sort of uh, an anxiety um, that looks more like being very stringent about finances and sort of Mm -hmm. feeling like maybe despite evidence of financial security, feeling very insecure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so- I think it is important to always look at these topics in light of reality, which is, like you said, our current economic environment is very precarious. I Mm -hmm. think, you know, we have student loans (laughs) coming back up. Um, There are a lot of things, (laughs) you know, there's a lot. And here's the other thing I want to factor in. In our current culture, there's a lot of showing off online.
0: Yes. Right. And so
1: we, all of those things, all that aesthetic is, takes money. Mm -hmm. If it's going to be like, the top of the top. And Mm -hmm. so I see this interesting thing where people are practicing like this willful ignorance about like, yeah, I don't have any money, but I'm going on vacation. And I think I'm not even judging it. I think it's a backlash against like being told, do all these things, do these things right, work really hard, devote yourself to your job and you'll get certain rewards and people aren't seeing that. Like we've seen a lot of people leaving their jobs and pursuing their lives and what they perceive to be as happiness. Now I'm interested to see what what financial impact that has. Um, But ultimately I think spending habits can just be a reflection of your anxiety in general. Like Amazon is so easy to shop, like click. I recently decided like I'm going to unlink my cards from Apple Pay because There was a meme about this was like, I'm buying stuff on Apple Pay. Like, it's not my money. Like you just (laughs) press two buttons and it's yours. (laughs) So, you know, that, you know, I would say, look at your finances and how you operate in your finances um, as part of your wellness, meaning like stay Mm. abreast, know what your goals are, approach it. I mean, of course it can be fearful if you're in scarcity or you don't have enough, who wouldn't want to avoid that? But honestly, um, I do think finances gets left off the list when we talk about wellness, but I actually yeah. think they contribute a lot to your wellness. Oh, yeah. Um, so you should be at least checking in on your finances to desensitize yourself from it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree more. Like I, I said, I that's financial anxiety and stress is so real, especially, especially if you grew up, with having just your needs met, mm-hmm. not any of your wants met. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that, um, you know, for folks who not necessarily grew up like without anything, but they, their parents had just enough yeah. for, you know, you're going to get maybe one pair of shoes for, for school, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, but we're not going to be able to take you on a shopping spree Right. that later on in adulthood really can kind of be a result of that lack of of, of mm-hmm. having your wants met. And now mm-hmm. you're spending, you're going into debt, you know, yeah. your cards are maxed out. You're not able to have a financial cushion because you're trying to make up for lost time
1: mm-hmm. from what you
0: had. And so I think realizing how much our upbringing does play a role in our yes. behavior as adults, I would love to, for you to talk a little bit more about you know, our home environments specifically and how how we respond to stress and how mm-hmm. we de- maybe even develop anxiety based on our home environments. Um, if you can share mm-hmm. a little bit more And about when you that.
1: say home environment, do you mean our current one or the one that we came from?
0: The one that we came from.
1: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so our path so I I'll start off with context too. So um you mentioned cognitive distortions
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I specifically am a CBT therapist which means cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. and what that means is that the style of therapy that I do is I'm very interactive and I focus a lot on someone's thoughts. Um it's very here and now based and I pe- I think people like it cuz it's solution focused and like yeah. you know us assessing reality. But all therapy In my opinion, does take into account your past. And so while I may not start off our session being like, tell me about when you were two. Yeah. I am constantly asking, what does that remind you of? What does that refer to? How was that handled when you were younger? Mm -hmm. Because I'm trying to a get to know more about someone, help you explore yourself, but also make these links between our past experience and our environment is certainly impacting and affecting who we are now. And so sometimes we see it in that way, meaning. I came from, you know, a little bit of scarcity. So now excess, here I come. Yeah. Um. But essentially, we are not doomed by our beginnings, but it certainly determines some of the things that we believe and what we do. And we mentioned earlier, I think this all organically is coming together. We talked about distortions and you said something. I think you used, used the word filter. Yeah. The way I used yeah. to describe it to people is like, they're like sunglasses. Yeah. It's a lens. Yeah. And so I'm sure everyone has had this moment, whether you're a glasses wearer, where you like take them off and you're like, oh mm-hmm. man, I cannot see, mm-hmm. um, or you have on sunglasses and you're in a side, and you're like, man, it is so dark. And you're like, oh shoot, I have my sunglasses Yes. On. Yeah. So, so it's this idea of however you were brought up, those are your sunglasses. Mm. Um, your sunglasses might be a little foggy. <laughs> You know, they have some scratches you know, on them, <laughs> right? They might have some scratches. Yes. They may leave you with some blind spots. And I look yes. at therapy as like, we're going to take off the sunglasses. We're going to look at them and I'm going to give you like a glasses cleaner and a cloth. Yes. And we're going to shine it up as much as possible. Wow. Yes. In a way that we can be aware in a way that we can learn. That was the old way that used to work for me. Mm-hmm. But how can I pivot now? Mm-hmm. So you made this really good example with the finances. If I come from a family where Six of us. Dinner is just enough. Yeah, you got to hurry and get your food and eat fast. I might be a fast eater. Yeah, if I live alone now, do I need to eat fast? Yes. Yeah. No, I don't. Right. And so the yeah. idea is, how can I start to live in a way that reflects the now when the past is telling me a message? How do I rewrite and edit a new message to myself? Because now you're the adult. You're in charge.
0: Yes, absolutely. Wow. I mean that is so that's tracked so much actually the other day we just had an, an in person event and we did a a workshop and you know we asked about how like our self care toolkits yeah. and one person also mentioned how you know that's also a habit of of eating fast like at home and how that's also been incorporated into you know being an adult and still having that habit and that's something that yeah. you know I'm realizing wow like that's something I've done too is I don't I've for me it was more so in the era when I was a, a student and having to rush all the time because of time scarcity and exactly. now as an adult I'm like oh I can slow down I I have more than 10 minutes to eat I don't need to rush so it's just it's so interesting the way that those habits sometimes are so ingrained in us subconsciously and um when we take a moment like you said to Wipe off the sunglasses and take a step back. We can realize that, you know, some of those are just subconscious things that we haven't brought to the surface just yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more question about anxiety specifically is how do we know when it's time to ask for help? Um, mm-hmm. And really want to know what the signs are that you're, you know, if you're someone that is going through a really difficult time or you're not understanding how to manage your experience with anxiety, when is a good time to really ask for help? Because I think we have so much self-care content. We have so much self-help. There's self-help books coming out every, you know, all the time. But like, what is really the point when we need to speak up and ask for help? That
1: that question is a great question because I think it varies for every person. Mm -hmm. I like to say at the bare minimum, if you can say to yourself, even without firm description, I don't feel like myself, mm. that is a sign to ask for help. And I don't mean you have to call a therapist that day, but it wouldn't hurt to talk to a friend. It wouldn't yeah. hurt It wouldn't hurt to start to explore what you think is going on. Because mm. I think so often I see women are like, yeah, I haven't felt my, like myself for months now or years now. And I'm like, but wait. If you haven't felt like yourself, what has been, like, what have you been telling yourself? Like, oh, it's fine. Um, And so I think the moment you don't feel like yourself, consider taking care of yourself.
0: Yeah. Whatever
1: that looks like in that moment. Now, on more of maybe a mental health level, if things are persisting, and I don't mean persistent for months, because again, most people, by the time they get to me, there's no such thing as too late. But I'm like, you know, I believe in time and in time is everything. You were ready now. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, I would love to see people come sooner than later. Mm. Um, and so if you find that things are being impacted, like significantly, your mood, your sleep. Um, if you've had a panic attack or two, like those are things that mm-hmm. I think, let's intervene. Let's not cement this new fear of like, oh, I'm different. I'm in distress and I'm, not, I'm trying to make life work. That starts a whole new stream of distortions, negative beliefs about yourself. When the reality was, I just needed help. There was nothing quote yeah. unquote wrong with me, or I wasn't failing, or you know. So the idea is that I know we chase something familiar, even when intellectually we can say, Hey, this is not working for me. If you catch yourself saying that a lot intellectually, don't wait until you feel ready. Try to ask, because that's that's a perfect example of practicing. Yeah. It's a, it's a higher risk. It's not the low risk, but ask for help. Um, especially if you even have friends who go to therapy and maybe you're Mm -hmm. nervous about it, just ask them questions. Like, tell me, you know, what's your therapy like? What did you have to do? Mm -hmm. Start to knock some of the fear off of this journey.
0: Yeah. 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 I definitely appreciate you sharing, you know, some of those signs. And, um, I think really what stuck out is starting as early as possible. Um, You know, when I started going to therapy when I was like 24, I think, Mm -hmm. years, seven years ago, I went at a time where I was at my lowest, 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 you know, and it took everything in me to actually make an appointment. And Mm -hmm. I, I look back now, I'm almost like looking at it like a preventative point of view, the same way that you schedule out your dental appointments or your gynecologist or your doctor schedule your therapy appointments in advance even if you think you're not going to need it you never know when if Mm -hmm. you do have that resource and um one thing I do want to point out too is if you are you know employed or you work you know traditional nine to five chances are you probably have an employee assistance program and that's where you can have like at least short short term Uh, Counseling or therapy, and eventually you can be linked to more of a a long-term treatment for your mental health and your wellness. Mm -hmm. And I have found that using those resources has helped me and saved me time and time again. Um, And definitely encourage people to, you know, use those resources when you can, um, at least to get started until you can find the right therapist for you. Um, And you know. Last question. This one's just for you is, you know, we talked a lot about challenges when it comes to dealing with anxiety, addressing anxiety, um, challenges in our mental health and how the way we think really perceives the reality that we're existing in. Um, But with all of that, what does softness mean to you as a Black woman? And- how do you define softness in your own words? Yeah.
1: So the first word that came to mind when you talked about softness was space.
0: Mm. And
1: I think that as someone who loves words, as you can imagine, yes, um, <laughs> I think about space in actually more than one way. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about taking up space. I think it means giving yourself space. So you mentioned like, remind yourself, I don't have to rush. I can choose myself first. I can ask what works for me. Um, I think softness looks like the ability to enjoy things versus just being there on edge, Mm. Um, like to be actually present, to walk away from the weekend and be like, I remember what I did this weekend. Um, I remember this moment that was enjoyable. Um, I can look back on things and not necessarily, or sorry, events and not be like, I can't wait until that's over, but I can Mm. actually look forward to them. And be like, I can't wait until it's my kid's birthday party, versus like, I can't wait till this party situation is done.
0: Yeah, I love that space. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Giving mm-hmm. ourselves space um, to be present too is—it's yeah. what it sounds like. That's yeah, absolutely. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Alicia. Before you go, we do have a quick rapid fire questions oh. for you, okay. just to. End on a high note, and um, these are just five really fun, no brainer questions. So, ready? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm so- nervous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all good, all good. Okay. So, first question If you could choose only one form of exercise for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
1: <laughs> one form. So, at first I was gonna cheap out and say like something low impacts. <laughs> like stretching. But to be honest, I would pick weight training. Um yes. particularly because it's intense and I love the aesthetic element of it, but Weight training is so mental, like mind-body connection, yes. forcing yourself to push yourself even when your mind tells you you can't. Yeah, um, I think there's just something very valuable in that. So I'd pick that.
0: I love that. I recently started weight training and it I couldn't agree more. It's definitely that mind-body bond. Mm-hmm. Um, love that. Okay. Next question. What is your go-to comfort food recipe when you need
1: a little pick-me-up? Oh, it's macaroni and cheese every time. Mm. every time every time every time at two o'clock in the morning it doesn't matter
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it oh my gosh love me good mac and cheese um okay next question is what is your go-to self-care activity when you're having a bad day
1: you know that's something that actually has changed over Mm. time it used to be more recent um in the it used to be driving around. Um, now, since I'm a little more homebound with the family, I would say it actually is putting on <laughs> my headphones and like reorganizing something. So that does have some elements in control. I'm not going to lie. We talked about anxiety, stress, and control. <laughs> um, it's a productive control thing. Yeah. But it also just helps me kind of feel like I'm to myself. I'm yeah. I'm doing something enjoyable i'm listening to obviously old songs from back in my heyday um and i'm really just enjoying the moment and not trying to think forward or think in the past
0: i love that Mm -hmm. i do the same thing i don't even realize it's self-care but because it almost feels like i'm taking care of my environment but that is Mm -hmm. self-care um and yes definitely can relate to that good headphones good music and just in your own little bubble Mm -hmm. um Okay. Next question is: If you could spend a weekend at a wellness wellness retreat anywhere in the world, where would it be?
1: So I do have my eyes on Arizona. Um, I think I want to go to Maraval. I was supposed to go to. um, I cannot even think of the Home Noir. Maybe like they had a retreat years Mm. ago, and I was going to be a part of it and speak and like get the full experience and then. I was like too pregnant to fly, so I couldn't go. <laughs> no. um, but I, I, I have ever since then, I have had my eyes on this place and I've heard nothing but good things about it. And I heard Arizona is also like spa capital, so.
0: Yeah, Scottsdale, Scottsdale and Sedona have some really nice spa. Mm-hmm. I'm also eyeing Arizona too for just a little weekend getaway. Mm. I love that. All right, let's go, let's go. Let's go, let's make it happen. <laughs> We're manifesting this right now. I love it, I love it. Um, okay, and last question is, what is one self-care or wellness activity that you do that you love that might be a little bit unconventional or um surprising for most most folks to hear?
1: You know, um, I have a few. So my newest one, because I just want to throw this out here real quick, this turned mm-hmm. into like a, a lesson, but there's like five <laughs> realms of self-care and um, the acronym is PI. So it's physical, intellectual, emotional, social, and spiritual. Ooh. So self-care, you could be doing lots of different things. Like it yeah. doesn't just have to be like the beauty. Right. It doesn't just have to be exercise. Um, but I would say something that I like to do recently is watch YouTube videos. And it's actually my intellectual stimulation. It's yeah. not necessarily like I'm learning things. Like lately, I've been into makeup. So there's yes. a benefit. Kind of but I'm like, I want to learn techniques. I'm present. I'm grounded. Yeah. Um, and so that's my new thing. So if, when y'all start seeing my beat face photos, Period. just know just know that's where it's coming from. <laughs> Dr.
0: Alicia has been in her, in her, in her bag, in her vibe right watching youtube i love it who's your favorite
1: youtuber to watch for you YouTube know girls? right now um is her name Angie? Angie. And she's friends angie and i can't so i'm thinking i'm like visualizing the yeah. name but she's like very petite and thin she's an influencer and she um she has the best outfits yeah the best, the best hair I just follow all of her stuff. It's just so much fun to watch. I'm going to send her to you.
0: Yes, please do. Let's link her below and we can all learn. We can get snatched together. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. Alicia, for being here and sharing space with us. We really, really appreciate you. And where can folks find you and stay connected with you?
1: Yeah. So if you want to find me on most social platforms, meaning like Instagram, if Twitter is mm-hmm. still a thing anymore, <laughs> um, LinkedIn and Facebook is mm-hmm. um, the handle is Help Me Hodge, So H-E-L-P-M-E-H-O-D-G-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website itself is SlayYourAnxiety.com. That's where you can find information for therapy services, consultations, mm-hmm. media, things like that, um, or book me for speaking.
0: And so those are the two places
1: that you'll probably see me the most.
0: Okay, awesome. We will be sure to link all of those below. And thank you again for being
1: here. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope we can collaborate more in the future. You never know, like 2025, we may have this Batty Batty Slayer Anxiety Miraval takeover. Listen,
0: I love it. We're going to talk offline about that because that would actually be amazing. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much again.
1: All right, take care.
0: Introducing Saddie Baddie's very first product my journey to self-love the ultimate self-care guide by sadi baddies your transformational self-care journey starts right here we've created the ultimate self-care guide just for you with over 60 pages designed to help you discover wellness routines and practices that actually fit your fast-paced lifestyle designed to be completed within eight weeks this self-care guide encourages you to take simple practical steps through introspection and awareness to deepen your self-discovery Healing journey. To stay connected, join Sadie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on sadiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, Baddie.